Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, join me in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This is Paul who is holding the pen in which God is writing the story. If you know anything about Romans, Romans is an amazing letter that Paul wrote, and it's where a lot of theology holds. In fact, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, a lot of people may have prayed, excuse me, prayed to receive Christ as they went through a road through Romans. And they had different little tracks and different little things, and, and people would give you the plan of salvation. I remember in seminary, we I was so intrigued. I was like, they had a class on Romans. I was like, this is good. I'm, I want to take this class. Like, there's a lot of theology from our church that's, that's, that's founded in the book of Romans. And I was like, I'm going to take this class. And we met three times a week for two hours. And we did that for 10, well, no, 12 to 14 weeks. And we got to Romans chapter 7. We didn't even get to the whole book. I mean, there is so much here, but listen to these words as we're just going to simply think about this concept of undeniable, my story, your story, his story, verse 31 of chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? You know, that's a great question. I think that's the essence of everything we're going to do for the next several weeks. What is it that we should say to these things? You say, what things? Well, if you did a little bit of research and started, he's referring back to several things that he's been talking about in the book of Romans. Talking about dealing with the devil, Satan himself. Talking about life and death and where to find joy and how to be a part of his church. But it was more about just life in general. Like he's, he's talking to the Romans. This was the the biggest group that's going on. This is like all roads lead to Rome, right? This is Caesar. This is this major concept. And he's intrigued and he's saying, you know, what is it should we say about these things? I believe that's the question that's on everybody's hearts every time they wake up in the day. It's like, okay, how do I explain this thing called life? What do I say about this? Like, Pastor Mickey, here's where my life's at. What, what do I say about that? How do you explain God in this? You ever heard the saying, if God's so great, God's so good, then why do bad things happen to good people? Well, what do we say about these things? If Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father through him, then why are there so many other gods out there? And why do these other churches exist? And, and what do we say about these things? And I, I think the issue is, is we get so caught up in trying to answer everybody else's questions and what they're asking that we forget the, that we have an answer and that dictates the question. What do we say about these things? What do we say about these things called life? What do we say about these things that we go through? What do we say about these things that we hit when, when we go from these mountaintop highs and we're like, wow, God is so great, man, look at my life. He's doing, look at what's happening. And all of a sudden, wow, wow, you're in a valley. And is he still great? Is he still amazing? Like, how do we handle our life, our life choices, our past, our present, and our future? And what do we say about these things? 
Well, God actually gives us an answer in the form of a question. It's the very end of the verse, and you've heard it a million times. And it says this, if, if you have a paper Bible, underline the word if. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I love the way, like, this is a rhetorical question, right? Like, like Paul's literally saying, hey, what do we say about these things? And he, he asks a question that really, there's, there's, everybody knows the answer. It's rhetorical. He says, you know what? Here, here's what you say about these things. Here's, here's how you answer all these things. No matter where your situation is, no matter what life's going on, here's what you need to know. If God is for us, who can be against us? And he takes the rest of this chapter 8 and just reiterates the theology of that one simple rhetorical question. If God is for us, who can be against us? It is the foundation of this series called Undeniable. But it's also the foundation of this church. If God is for us, who can be against us? Scripture says that if Jesus Christ is the head of the church, not even the gates of hell can come against it. But yet every day we see churches closing. Every day we see churches declining. Every day we see people in the church walking away. I, I, I read different things. I listen to different people. I, I'm not real good at that. I, I'm the ultimate skeptic. I'm just like, when somebody starts telling me something, even though they're a lot more intelligent, a lot more knowledgeable, I always just ask one simple question. Why am I going to listen to you? And I'm not saying that like this prideful. I like, like that's, that's, I'm giving you kind of... A little bit of vulnerability inside the pastor's head. I'm like, okay, well, but tell me why I'm listening to you. Because, you know, like, like I can turn on different stations and channels and depending on what I'm, I'm listening to, like, like they're describing the same situation, but they're describing it totally differently. We call that the news, <laughs> you know. It's like, well, I don't know who to believe. You know, and so what I do is I try to go back to what, what does God's word say? And when it comes to you, when it comes to me, when it comes to him, when it comes to my story, and your story, and his story, is it obvious that God's undeniable? Is it obvious that God is for us? And therefore, who could really be against us? Well, what does it mean as far as who can be against you? Well, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading, and we're just going to simply read through the last of this chapter and let the word speak for itself. He who did not spare his own son, but gave up him for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God? Who should bring any charge against God's elect? Now, I need to pause for a minute. One of the things that Paul used on a regular basis in the book of Romans that has really like, like got misconstrued is the word elect or the word predestined, or the word predetermined. I want you to know that God is a God of choice. The game is not rigged. God has not already determined every single thing in your life. You do have a choice. You do have the ability. 
I'll give you a great example. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved the whole world. He, he didn't want any, so that none would perish is what it says in Romans, right? But yet everyday people perish. If God is a God that predetermined every single thing, do you not think that he'd have everybody accept him? People say, oh, no, he, he let some people, you know, not accept him because he's wanting people to know that, you know, how gracious. No, no, I mean, trust me, God wants everybody to have personal relationship with him. But unfortunately, people don't choose him. So what do you do with that word elect? How do you handle that word elect? Well, you guys just came off of an election. I hope you voted. The word elect is the aspect of an appointment. It's God saying, I've looked at these people. I have found them worthy. I have made them qualified. And I'm putting them in a position to have a purpose that is going to be forever changing for not only their life, but everybody else's. It's not an elect like, like you've been chosen and you don't have a choice in it. It's more of an elect like the election. Like, like, hey, I choose you because I've determined that you're the best person for the job. Like, if you'll say yes to this position, I have called you into this so that you can make a huge difference. So when he's talking about God's elect, he's not talking about God's elect like, like robots, like, oh, we're, we're the elect and we're the ones that are saved and all you. No, what he's saying is, you know what, I, I'm, I'm setting you apart. I have qualified you to do something bigger than yourself. I'm putting you in a position of purpose and authority to be a game changer, a life changer, to be life-giving, to help people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, because I've given you something to make a difference. That's what this is reading. So with that in mind, can I read it again so maybe it helps you understand a little bit better? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who should ever tell you what you should do when God's already appointed you to an office of prestige amazement that's called your purpose in life where you can make a difference? If God's called you to it, who is anybody to tell you you shouldn't do it? See, that's one of the first things all of us deal with when it comes to our lives, right? We let our circumstances define us and we let people's words define what our circumstances are. We feel like God's called us to something, but the problem is, is we start listening to people. And they start taking away, like, like, like I feel like God's calling me to blank. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't know if you can do that. Why? Well, I mean, you, I mean, you, you remember some of the things you used to do? I mean, you, you remember this and you remember that? And, and how, how do you talk about those things? How do you handle those things? Well, but, but my pastor said, well, your pastor, he loves you, but he doesn't really know you. Like every time you're around your pastor, you put your best foot forward. But you know who you really are. Now listen to me, I'm not saying that is true. I'm just sharing with you the lies that are in your head and what you hear other people say. But here's what's really cool. Well, what if we just real? What if we just say, you know what? God didn't call me this because I was perfect. God called me this because I was set apart. God didn't call me to this because I was right. God called me to this because he made me righteous. 
God didn't call me to this because I'm, I'm God's gift to every single one. No, God called me to this because I don't understand this, but God looked at me and he said, mm, buddy, man, I tell you what, you're the perfect person to help with this. In fact, the reason why I'm talking to you, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about when you're talking to your friends. The reason why I'm talking to you, talking to you to your friend, is because God let me know that, that you need somebody like me because you're too stupid to figure this out without me. So before you start belittling me, before you start coming at me, before you start telling me all the things that I can't do, just know that God's called me to this. And the reason why he called me to this is because he needs you as my friend to know Jesus, and he wants me to be a part of your process. See, when, when we, when we kind of change it and start looking at it that way, we start going, well, wait a minute, who, who really justifies? Who, who determines if something is just or not just? Who determines if something is worthy or not worthy? Who determines what you can and can't do? Well, let's just read what God's Word says. It's very simple. He says three simple words, doesn't he? Actually, it's five. It is God who justifies. It is God who justifies. Listen to me. The greatest voice in your life is probably not the voices around you. It's probably the voice in your head. And the greatest person that probably makes you feel unqualified and unjust and unability to do this is probably not all the people talking to you at work or in your family. It's probably when you talk to yourself. And I want to tell you something very, very simply and very, very lovely. Listen to me. Stop. Like God looks at the whole world. He says, oh, but I'm going to call you to do this. I could use anybody. But I've made you for this. Now, the great thing is, is, is I've got a whole group of people you're going to be able to do this with. But just know that, that you are part of that chain. And your strength in the chain helps the chain to be strengthened. And when you do what God's calling you to do, then it becomes undeniable who I am. Why? Because what you look at as weakness and flaws, people look at as me being God and me being undeniable. See, if everybody that was great and perfect did godly things and the people that weren't great and perfect didn't do godly things, then it'd be obvious why God did what he did, right? He uses perfect people. But when God takes our weakness and in our weakness we find strength and we know, hey, there has to be a God. Can we keep reading? Let's just keep going. If God's for us, who can be against us? Well, let's just keep going. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Another question. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Another question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now, I actually took some time, and I wrote those down, and I went and defined each one of those. Because I was wanting to say, you know, like, this is one of the things that really gets me. My story, which is some of your story, which has his story in it, my story is that of, of desperation. My story, my father committed suicide, buried him four days before I turned 13. And you can only imagine all the different things that I didn't know Jesus at the time and all the different things that I started looking to fill this void. 
You say, oh, Mickey, was it dark? Did you go to counseling? No, in, in, in the 80s, when stuff like this happened, what you did was you, you, you got up and you went and did life. Like, I remember being out of school for a week, and I went back to school, and I went to an English class, and they were talking about all these different things, and, and I went in with my little note, and, and this teacher was like, well, about time you showed up back for school, I hope you had a good reason to be out for a whole week. And I just simply handed her the note, and then she walked outside to go cry because she realized, you know, open mouth, insert foot. But here's what I realized. Listen to me. Do you know the world didn't stop when my dad died? School was still happening. Jobs were still going on. Like, like I was in a tragic moment, but yet the world doesn't stop for anybody. And so it made me go, well, geez, man, how do you handle these things? And because of my dad and it being a situation of suicide, I asked the question, if somebody commits suicide, do they go to hell? Like, I wanted to know that. It's one of the first things when I started knowing there was a calling in my life and studying God's word more and more and more. I wanted to know the answer to that because I, different people would tell me different things. Do you know I found the answer right in the scriptures we're fixing to read? Before I get to them, let me define each one of these words. Are you ready? Tribulation. What is it? A cause of great trouble or, surf, or suffering. Distress, defined, extreme anxiety, sorrow, or pain. Persecution is a hostility or ill treatment because of your belief. Famine is the lack of the physical nourishment that you need. We call it food. Nakedness is a lack of clothing and the ultimate vulnerability. Danger is the possibility of suffering harm or injury. The sword is literally representing death. See, in this scripture, and let me just read it again, when he says, what, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or a sword? What he's saying is he's literally describing every single aspect that most people would say that that would cause you to be separated from God. And he's saying, you know what? Ain't none of that. Let's know what he keeps reading. He says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's Psalms 44, verse 22, if you're wondering. Then look at verse 37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Can I answer the suicide question for you? The person that commits suicide, is he a person? Is he a part of creation? Is this say that anything in creation can separate you from the love of God? It says nothing. You know what? That includes yourself. Like when he says, if God is for you, who can be against us? You can't even, you can't even be against it yourself. If God is for you. But this whole aspect of undeniable, it revolves around this one concept. So how am I going to talk about these things? Like, how am I going to handle these things? Like, Mickey, you don't understand. Like, like this sounds great. 
But surely to goodness, people don't struggle like I struggle. Like, like have you watched people's social media? Have you listened to people's stories? Have you watched the way, like, like everybody just figured it out and they, they just, like, we're just not at the same place. Well, I think what you're going to find over the next six weeks is not only is everybody at the same place, but, but my story and your story and his story is all the same story. And I get emotional because I know that for some of you, the next few weeks, you're going to have to make a commitment. Because we're opening up an old wound. And you're dealing with the person that's been the toughest on you. Yourself. And you're going to listen to some people that, that we dialogue and, and have a little bit of a, a testimony time before we go into a message. And you're going to hear some amazing stories. And you are going to find yourself in every one of these. Like there's going to be somebody that you identify with in these stories. And when we get done, you're going to realize that it all hinges around one simple two-letter word. If. It is scary to me how powerful that word is in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. He said, if God is for us. See, it's not automatic. You weren't born and woohoo, man. He got me. No, you hit a point in your life where you understand who Jesus Christ was. You understand what it means to fall short. We call it sin. You, find, you understand that you need to have a relationship with Christ. And if, if you will accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then all of this at the end becomes yours. Can I read it again? Here, with an accepting of Jesus Christ, here's what it talks about. Know in all things we are more than conquerors. Now, I'm, I'm very simple-minded. What is all things? It's all things. Like, because of my relationship with Jesus, if I accept Jesus, then he makes me to be more than a conqueror. Not in just a few things, not in some things, not in most things. He says, in all things, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. You say, oh, Mickey, here we go. Here's that genie, right? Like, woohoo! if I pray to receive Jesus, everything's going to work out great. Listen to me. If you pray to receive Jesus and you pursue him in your life, then when it's all said and done, it may not be on this earth, 
But that is a correct statement that yes, it will all work itself out. These trials and these tribulations, these struggles and these ups and these downs, all of this will pale in comparison when you are absent from the body to be present with the Lord. The sad part about that if is if you do not accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, then if God is not for you, guess what? Then everybody will be against you. Because no matter how great, no matter what's going on in this life, no matter where you chased your rabbit and called it, or everything just, there's coming a point that you're going to be absent with the body, and you will not be present with the Lord. Do I believe that there's a place called heaven? I do. And because of my belief in heaven and the streets of gold, guess what? I also know there has to be another place called hell. See, you can't believe in heaven and then reject hell. Like, like a lot of churches have gotten away from like, like we just don't talk about that. Like we want to, you know, we want people to leave here and go eat lunch. Like, come on, Pastor Mickey. Like we don't, like, you know, we, we just don't talk about this. Let's talk about the good stuff. We are going to talk about the good stuff, but every once in a while we got to talk about the reality. And all that hinges around one simple two-letter word, if. Let me show you how else this word if works. Scripture says, if you'll draw near to God, he will draw near to you. If, if, if you'll draw near to God, he will draw near to you. If. Like, we're getting ready to go into 21 days of prayer. There's some of you that have some major things you've been working on, praying on. Listen, I'm not going to tell you that, that, wow, like, boosh, like everything's just going to be perfect. And in any 21 days, that life's going to be just this, woo man, this is the greatest time of my life. I'm not going to tell you that. But what I will tell you is this. If you will draw near to God. He will draw near to you. We actually will be meeting up here starting tomorrow morning. At 6 a.m. prior to work and school, we will be up here. There will be prayer cards all over here. We'll have a testimony. Not only do we have people that are going to be sharing during this series over the next six weeks, but we've got 21 people just like you that are going to be sharing a simple, quick five-minute devotion and then we go into a time of prayer. We go through a thing called a prayer guide. You can get those as you leave. They're at guest services. They'll actually have them in the back as you're leaving, handing them out if you'd like one that way. It just, it's a commitment. But for some people, and I encourage you to do this, be here at 6 o'clock in the morning. If your schedule does not permit it, listen to me. I understand. But if your schedule is the fact that you're at Matthew Springs Baptist Church, then you need to get up. All right? I attended that church in college. It was the largest church on the campus. And I promise, you say, oh, but, but Mickey, seriously, like it's 6 o'clock in the morning. Like, like you guys have done this before. Like, like, it's, like it's probably you and Amy because you probably make her. No, I don't ever make her do anything. You don't get it 25 years making anybody do something. Oh, it's you and the staff. Well, we, we, we don't have to. We get to. And all the staff are up here. You say, oh, hey, great, 6 o'clock in the morning, there's five of you. I never forget when we started this. Walking into the room. And being blown away that there were 60-something people at 6 o'clock in the morning praying and seeking God's face. Like there will be a large group of people for 21 days. Monday through Friday, we're at 6 o'clock. 
Saturday, we don't start till 9. We let each other sleep in a little bit. Sunday is a day of worship. So we don't do it on that day. Then we, create, we do it for three weeks. At the end of those three weeks, I have the same question brought to me a hundred times. Oh, Pastor Mick, this is so great. We need to keep doing this. Why are we stopping? Because it's for 21 days. It's not for the rest of our life. I'm asking for a 21-day commitment. This time, a little bit different. We don't have a scripture guide. We're not reading through a particular book. We're going to actually go through the prayer guides. There's different prayers in there that have scriptures. There's the prayer of Jabez. There's a tabernacle prayer. There's the Lord's prayer. There's praying over scriptures. It, it is the, our pray first guide is the best resource that we've ever had in our church other than the ESV study Bible that we sell at guest services at a discounted price. You can get them for 40 bucks. You want to buy them somewhere else, they're $100. That prayer guide has changed more people's life. Only thing bigger is God's word itself. But you know what scares me? Is it all hinges on the if. If you'll do it. If you'll make a commitment. If. I try to be real careful because I don't ever come across as a narcissistic person. I also don't ever come across as like this, because I love you. But can I give you another if? If you knew what God knows is waiting for you at the end, it would be the easiest choice of your life. If you knew how much your life would change through your obedience and pursuit of him, it would be the easiest part of your days. If you truly knew what heaven was like, you would forfeit everything to make sure you didn't miss it. See, that if swings both ways. If you knew what God knows It'd be undeniable. If you're encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.